welcome to the Adventures with Grammy podcast. I am your host, Carolyn Berry. This podcast is for grandparents on the go with their grandchildren and for parents who want to ensure loving relationships across the generations. I welcome your input and your feedback on every episode of the podcast we produce. Please send me an email at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com or connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Grammy Adventure. Please follow or subscribe to my podcast. It's free so you won't miss an episode and ask your family and friends to do the same. You can subscribe to the monthly newsletter by visiting my website, adventureswithgrammy.com, and clicking the newsletter sign-up link. Today's guests are Eric Ross Peterson and Dr. Jason Powell. Eric is the CEO and founder of Seniors for Seniors, a nonprofit organization based in Colorado that connects high school students and senior citizens with the goal of helping each party learn from and mentor each other. His biography says, as a caregiver in the senior community, I was made aware of the challenges which the senior residents I cared for face daily. In doing so, I also became aware that our youth, especially those in their high school years, were having these same challenges of isolation, loneliness, and depression. I decided to act, which brought me to to develop Seniors for Seniors, a program that brings together the older adults and youth in our communities, enabling enriching real human connections. The program establishes connections between these individuals with shared interest, with a focus on career aspirations of the youth that correspond to the career backgrounds of the older adults. Professor Jason Powell is the provost of the Manchester Institute of Learning and Excellence. He has held leadership positions and served as visiting professor at universities throughout the world, including Harvard Medical School here in the United States. He is the author of 79 academic books and more than 500 refereed journal articles about aging, health, and social care in healthcare settings. He has served as editor for numerous publications and served on the editorial boards of more than 100. His research credentials are impeccable. In addition to holding numerous earned and honorary titles, he also is an honorary distinguished fellow for Seniors for Seniors. Back to School is coming in just a few weeks, so why not help get your grandkids used to writing those dreaded essays by encouraging them to enter the Adventures with Grammy essay contest? We all know grandparents rock, but we need to know why your grandchildren think you rock. Have them tell us in a short essay, no more than 250 words, by completing this thought. My grand is grand because... Children ages 5 to 16 must submit their essays by 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time, Friday, August the 6th. That's just about a week from now. They can win prizes, read their essays in a free downloadable PDF, and listen to the winning essays on a bonus episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast, September 12th, 2021, which is Grandparents Day, another day to honor you. To learn more, visit adventureswithgrammy.com 
forward slash podcast forward slash contest dot html. And please note that all children are eligible to win prizes, even those children whose parents and grandparents have been guests on the podcast. So good luck to every one of them. Now, here's the interview. How did you get the idea and what prompted you to take it to become a nonprofit organization? Long story short, I was a caregiver in the inner city community. They have these daily interactions with these individuals. I was noticing something was missing. And at first, I couldn't put my finger on it. You know, they were happy to a point, but sometimes they weren't happy. As you know, working with these people, and when you serve somebody, you love them. And I wanted to find out what was going on. And I found what was, they were missing was the isolation, loneliness, and sometimes that led to depression that people were taking care of because they were missing associations with their friends at home or their family or associations from church members they used to go to church with or with their fellow coworkers they used to work with. And then thinking about it some more, I thought, realized that, you know what, the senior on high school youth are having the same challenges because they don't always feel they fit in. Well, then we have a social media account and dozens of friends, but they never really, really click with somebody or a very small group, or they don't have a, a somebody to go to person, like a family member, or if they do, you know, I feel comfortable doing so. So my thought was, if I put these things together in common interests and a strong leader, if I could get together in a interesting career background. So for example, let's say I have a teacher that's retired and I have a youth that wants to be a teacher that would be some strong bonds there. So my thought was, I'll put them together. And for seniors, for seniors, for senior high school kids, with senior adults. And my first thought was, I want to get this going because someone might take the idea. And I want to be the, I also want to be the first one doing it. So I went talk to my executive director, my location I was working at. And I found out that most communities have a very small budget. They had budget at all in activities. That wasn't my focus. My focus was that. And I strongly believe, and Jason and I talk all the time, we strongly believe every senior adult, no matter your background in career to life or whatever, as every youth has a voice that's valued and needs to be heard. So that came back to me. I said to my dad, work with me, help me do this, get these things going. Let's make this a nonprofit. So we, long story short, we did nonprofit work. We got things submitted, and then we also approved. Weeks before the COVID happened, Christmas Eve of that year, 5013C profit, nonprofit. We've been trying to tackle this challenge of of what's face-to-face interaction was our first focus. But the COVID, we thought, oh my goodness, we can't be doing this face-to-face because of the COVID. Thank you, Eric. Jason, how did you get involved with this? Well, it's interesting where the angle, how I came involved um, and where we are to this day. Let's let's rewind back in time. Um, I'm enjoying it in terms of what Eric was thinking, Eric's mindset and what he was doing in Colorado and align it in terms of where I was based in um, the northwestern England in Manchester. A lot of the research that I was doing pre-COVID was exploring issues to do with loneliness and capacity building in care homes um, of older people. And one of the enduring questions I wanted to question um, critically was, why do older people feel lonely? Um, and what is what are the effects of isolation? And what I started to find was there was suicide ideation, um, depression, and these were so negative fault lines that I thought there has to be something more transformative than this. So in other words, research only takes you so far 
and it only gives you the critical questions, but it's what you do with the critical questions that counts. So therefore, on my journey then, I wanted to look at some of programs, transformational programs that were making a difference in communities in terms of engaging older people, listening to their voice, utilizing their voice. And therefore, I, I used what could be called comparative analysis. I wanted to look at other cultures. So I looked at the US and then out of the blue, I, look, I found Eric's model. When I was exploring it, it was, it was a fantastic um, form of innovation. Um, and as Eric has just astutely put together, I mean, he's a very humble guy, but f- a phenomenal uh, mind. Um, he put together this, this model of, of community leadership where, as we've just quite rightly been pointing out, where older people as mentors or as coaches engaging in those meaningful interactions with younger people so that younger people themselves learn about history, learn about the lessons of history, and equally, those bonds become more and more fortified and solidified over time because of the relationships that are cultivated. And equally, younger people then generate service, and then they themselves can also become mentors to older people. So it's a two-way process in that way. Um, and that was quite transformative. I reached out to Eric and his father at the time, and we got into a conversation and dialogue. From that day, a year and a half on, we've been not just on, a, on the, the sort of first page, but on the sort of first sentence, as it were, with regard to this. I guess the lesson for me as a researcher is that the days of where researchers say you get in, you find out about what people's experiences are, and then you get out and you write the research findings up, that's never enough. What you have to do is have to get involved and actually engage with the very people you're researching with and find out actually what it means from their perspectives and their life worlds, what it means to be a younger person and an older person, and look at what life chances and life opportunities they can offer each other. And that was the compelling narrative that that Eric had put together. On your website, you talk about four audiences, the youth, the older adults, the senior care communities, and educators. Can you tell us and describe each of those four pillars of your organization? Our high school youth, as anybody that's in high school or possibly in the early college years trying to figure out what they want to do. And that's to be to anybody that has high intellect to people with mental challenges, such as Down syndrome or autism or autistic. We don't differentiate we see know that they know they have challenges, but they're not any less valued than anybody else is. We value anybody that wants to contribute, freshmen to senior in high school and maybe a little older in the early years in college. What are the needs of that youth group and what gifts do they offer the older adults? They need someone like a go-to person, a second grandparent or a third or fourth or fifth in their life. And having that grandparent form like a friendship, close regos bond that can be transformational for the rest of their lives. And hopefully, even after high school, they would still want to continue that bond after this poem expires from their traditional service hours for graduation or doing this more of a responsibility, but because they want to out of the heart. Often, youth have, like you just mentioned, they have a service requirement as a high school graduation. So 
this could fulfill that requirement? I mean, there's two levels, isn't it? You're right. There's the formal level in terms of what they could acquire in terms of, as you've quite rightly pointed out, credits in the context of, you know, um, in terms of high school, high school um, credits in working with older people, for example, say. But the second point, going back to what your question said about what they also gain from it, is sometimes we always associate loneliness with later life. Loneliness also happens in younger life. One of the great issues about bringing younger people and older people together is about the commonalities that exist amongst both groups in terms of different themes. So say, for example, if younger people, for example, at an informal level, say, you know, they could say, oh, I've, I've had a, you know, a relationship split up, I don't know what to do. But an older person might be able to say, who's been there, done it, bought the T-shirt, give a particular perspective and say it's okay and give a calm and reassurance albeit informal level, but the important point is, is that that meaningful interaction is being built um, and, and, and capacity is being built in terms of that relationship. And I guess that's the important point is that the, not just learning from older people in terms of you know studying and, and education, but the, the learning from them in terms of lifelong learning skills, and that's important too. And what they offer for older people, as I mentioned earlier, that there also can be mentors to older people one of the startling continuities, especially in Europe, 70% of older people in Europe don't have access to technology, would you believe? So much of um, the discussions about utilising the internet and all those different facilities, for many older people, that's not necessarily a, a, you know, an issue, a, a case in hand. So, you know, much, much argument could be put into cake, put into fruition that younger people could sort of mentor younger people older people with regard to utilizing different forms of technology in order to in interact so i guess it's like a two-way dialogical relationship rather than one one way down but but the concept of lifelong learning in terms of how both biographies are built with each other helps build self-confidence and I, I think you know that the idea of that that concept of positive psychology um, that underpins that both groups in terms of human development so I think I think that that's a centerpiece of it at that informal level. That was what I meant to say anyway, in brief. <laughs> I think one of the issues too is that for young people, whether they're talking with a biological grandparent, it's often easier than talking with a parent. And if the grandparent is not around or is unable to talk with the youth, it's sometimes easier to talk with a stranger because you feel the young person would feel less vulnerable because there's a, a, a degree of separation as you're building that trust. So I can see where that kind of relationship would be beneficial for someone who needs a mentor and doesn't have it within that small circle of his everyday life. That's yeah. correct. Talk about the gift that older adults have to give to younger people? My personal experience working senior care as well as growing up and even now, you know, like I'm 40, I'm not that old, but these adults I'm, I've had interactions with teach me life lessons about perspective to sense goals and going after them. Like like when my grandfather, my dad's father until us when, when I was in high school was, don't be afraid of hard things. And if you fail, pick yourself up and keep going. He's an entrepreneur himself. He's had some businesses. He's had 
successes and failures. You know, as a, I think growing up, we all have, you know, we have a failure as a child. I think our upbringing, you know, past generations, failure was just kind of negative to look upon. I think now these, you know, there is now a story I think certain terms and failure is not only a blessing, but also a learning curve. Or as well as adults come to these adult, senior adults could teach people these youth skills that they've not, not thought of or like dismissing by a breakup or they had the outside and already looking in from decades of experience of life that these youth could draw upon. Jason, what has been your research about the opposition to starting this from the senior care community and from an educator perspective? What are, what are some of the stumbling blocks? One of the stumbling blocks are misguided assumptions about older people. Um, and they come under the concept of ageism. And ageism, obviously, I'm not talking about the, the US. I'm talking about my own particular experiences, for example, say in the UK, you know, are unwarranted stereotypes that have been applied to the experiences and representations of older people that don't bear reality to who they are as people. And so in other words, is that older people are, for, for a long time, whether it's by, and, and this has happened, whether it's in care settings or whether it be by researchers, were not necessarily seen as a, as a sort of a group that were given a voice in conjunction to other sorts of po- populational groups within society. So in order to sort of t- t- try, try and attack that, that concept of ageism and highlight actually older people have much to contribute and value as much as anybody else because they're people in their own right, with human rights, with so much dignity and so much history, so much to give and so much to contribute. So that capacity is enormous. And what they, what I found through my research was, was that there's been much resilience and much resistance to that, that ageist model by older people, where they can give back by, for example, say, you know, much about their histories. You know, a lot of the moment is about anxieties about COVID. Well, a lot of older people lived during the Second World War um, and had anxieties every night for five years, six years in terms of listening to sirens and and obviously, you know, the the enduring feature of war and the anxieties that come with that. So there's commonalities about that concept of anxiety there. So in other words, that older people have got much to offer and and, and have got much to sort of bring, as it were, to, to the fore as people. At the same time, where someone's been silenced just because of the concept of age, that is horrendous. That's a, that should be the last taboo. That should be completely obliterated. Um, and subsequently, older people in particular, and, and I would, you know, I'm being biased saying this because I've been being a quite an enduring question for me for 30 years. Older people themselves have, have got fantastic biographies that they can give so much back to society that people can learn so many lessons from. And enrich the lives of other groups across the life course by doing that that creates as you mentioned the concept of trust earlier um, and the foundations of trust with other groups such as or intergenerational trust with younger people and that obviously creates the conditions which communities become much more sustainable because it gets rid of that artificial divide between us and them which is perpetuated by ageism so in recent times, it has been about education. It has been about trying to tr- demolish the concept of ageism and making the visibility of older people in terms of saying, actually, they've got so much to be to contribute and value back to society. 
and should be valued as human beings in their own right. And that has taken so long to get to where we are today. I saw a cartoon recently. It was, the setting was a veterans, military veterans home. And you see this elderly gentleman struggling to get out of bed. But in the background, you see this young, vibrant soldier. The caretaker only sees this man who struggles to hear, who struggles to stand, and doesn't see that young, vibrant soldier who saved lives and did heroic deeds 50, 60 years ago. I think groups like yours help younger people to see that there is so much more to a person other than the ailments that are afflicting them currently, that they do have a lot to offer. And that's really a wonderful mission. Can you give us specific examples of ageism, like case study of where you had to actually deal with that when approaching a care center or approaching an educator about starting this program? You know, I think the biggest challenge we've been having is, you know, having caregivers, especially COVID, they've been so busy with it and has been tied Notch and all over the place with the hands been tied to COVID has been getting in these doors to let us share our, our experiences or share our mission with people. I think the last, last month or so, we've been able to start getting people to just say, yes, I want to learn more. As you first started your program, before you even got to the point of becoming a nonprofit in your early days, how did you go about getting this started? I mean, you had to have had some interaction with people at the very beginning. Yeah, I was in a senior home care and finding people that around my area in Colorado or looking stuff on Google and then talking to the community and saying, hey, this is who I am. Will you be interested in talking to me? And some were very reluctant and some were open to talk to them about what I was doing. Well, the people who were reluctant, what did they say to you? You know, some people that were reluctant were saying that you can make a profit off this or you don't think our services are needed. We're doing pretty good right now. Some people, some people told me that when we respond, like let's say a year ago, I was sending out, you know, hundreds, not thousands of emails asking people, hey, will you be interested in this program? If you think of my website, please let me know. Some people are coming back to me now or I follow with them, they want to talk to me or I think I was showing that wall because they don't want to overcommit or undercommit to what I'm doing because of the COVID or because they're doing this. They're so busy right now. And two, our program is meant to be super simple. Like we are literally, if you name and a phone number of a senior adult that wants to be, get started, we're more than happy to take it from there and make things happen. Tell me about the selection process. You talked about a retired teacher partnering with a young person who wants to be a teacher. How do you find out that background? What kind of research tools or uh, profile tools are you using to get that kind of information to match up? With the youth or with the senior adult, say that somebody signs up at a website, seniorsforseniors.org. And I, from there, well, my president, John Peterson, go in there and say, thank you for signing up for Senior for Seniors. So if I, what's their intention first? Do they find out more information? How this is a serving? 
who are they? Are they a teacher or their parent? Do they have a parent that needs services? And from there, we get from who they're talking to. And from there, we give a questionnaire about their background to their likes, to their career background, to their career interests for the youth. You can do the question of a nutshell. Then from there, we get them on Excel and we kind of compare them who is, it was me, and I was interested in teaching. And there's Jason as a retired teacher. I'll get together on like a, a conference call or a Zoom call, depending on their technology areas will be. And then, and then we connect them together on a conference call and then we give them some direction and we pair them together. Do you have any partnerships in place right now? See, after this our interview with you, I'm actually going to a senior home today. And the following week, I'm actually going to the senior home I used to work at to talk about what we're doing. So these are slowly taking place. And some people have made a LinkedIn that are like owners of companies are meeting with me this week or later on the month or some uh, physical therapists or uh, CEOs of companies are working with me or senior home placement people are working with me to get, to get the word out. But it's been a slow process because I think people are slowly starting to open these doors now with the COVID. They're seeing how simple we are and that we're free. I think so, things are slowly starting to open for us, but it's still a, a curve. I think your heart is in the right place. I think you have a wonderful mission and a wonderful program. Like you said, you're in the very, very beginning stages. So I see great things for you, but I also see challenges. And I know it's hard work, but you certainly seem up to that challenge. And having the professor working with you is a great asset. At the moment, we're, we're formalising our governance system. We have a, a board of directors, board members, each dealt with a delegated responsibility with regard to building the, the non-profit organisation. And Eric has pointed out some of the challenges that we've had under the, the, the gigantic cloud of COVID. At the same time, what Eric's model has been able to sort of break through, as it were, is that it's generated interest in not just in, in, in you know, there's been no limits not just in Colorado or, or, or across different states in America, um, in Canada, in, Amer in the United Kingdom. Um, also, we've had interest from um, Germany as well as India um, with regard to how the model can be applied, as it were. Obviously, Eric um, has, has constructed very careful templates for educators as well as for care home providers with regard to how people are put together, how people are you know, i.e. you're not safeguarding and the legal issues that impinge upon that. I'm a very, very adept, aware of that. Um, and at the same time as as as, as that is, is, is a continual monitoring process with regard to governance and making sure that what we say we do, we do. Um, but we do it in the safest possible environment that help people flourish in terms of their identities. So um, that's why we work very closely together with that, that you correctly point to, yeah. What do you need right now? What is your next step? Getting the word out is important that people know what we're doing. People choosing to participate and get involved, contact us or reach out to us, hey, I want to get involved. I think more funding and as well as the word out. You have a program that really can be replicated worldwide. I mean, I would, I, I would go with that. And, and then the extent to which is that once then it's been applied, it can be evaluated. And once it's evaluated, it can be highlighted to policymakers about the importance of intergenerational relationships. And then 
obviously funding then starts to come in as a funding stream. Um, but then that's obviously about evaluating the model in terms of its outcomes, in terms of how it impacts upon people's health and well-being, um, whether it increases longevity, whether it increases um, graduation prospects through for, formal education. So there's, there's multifarious outcomes or ways and means by which we can tap into it, but that's in terms of evaluating it. Um, but as you quite rightly also point out, there are philanthropists out there, and we also, because it's a non-profit, we also talk about the idea of people can, Eric, I mean, you can add to what I'm going to say here, but, you know, the idea of people can sort of give a, give a contribution to, to seniors for seniors. Obviously, any non-profit still needs a resource in order to, to operate, and that could be about, for example, say, you know, reimbursing someone's travel expenses in order to go and say a younger person goes and visits an older person or, or an older person visits a younger person pending the situation to do with COVID. So in, in, other, in other words, there is, there is a strategy that's in place, but it's, it has to be piecemeal given where we are at the moment with regard to COVID. And as we come out of it, it becomes much, much more, um, more translucent and much more sort of operable to do. Um, as, a, as, a, as a strategy, but it's been tough under COVID because funders have, put, have pulled resources um, and, and acquired them elsewhere. But this is such a um, tremendous project, given it, its global dynamics of it, is it, there's no limits, and that's the most important aspect to it. There are no limits. Age in that sense, there's no and limits. The exciting thing is that you are at the ground floor and it is, you use the word no limits. I mean, it is so exciting to think about this program where you could change the health and the mental health and physical health of thousands and thousands of people by putting them that human touch, you know, just that knowing that somebody depends on you or knowing that somebody cares about you and what that does to your psyche. I know I have six grandchildren and just thinking about those grandkids and seeing them and sharing anything with them, even pushing them on the swing, just makes my heart sing and makes me so happy. So I can imagine that a person who's been living in a senior care community to have the opportunity to talk with a young person and to share and to have somebody listen to your life story and to be able to part some wisdom to that young person would just be a monumental positive influence on that person's life. Yeah. Absolutely. My favorite yeah. moments with senior care is have my daughter come with me on my days off, days off to get off work, taking her with me and having her have those moments with the people I love and care about. And they see who I'm working for. When daddy has to work a double shift or stay later or have to work on my day off or something, she just, she was ever see the love out of those people and they love her back. There's, sorry, I'm just saying that makes me emotional right now. So thinking about how that changed her life. She's 11 now, but she's been a blessing in their life and they've been blessing for her life. If we had a magic wand and could eliminate COVID worldwide right now, what would you do tomorrow? Use that magic wand in order to make seniors for seniors a global reality for young and old and get rid of the concept of aging. That would be my magic. That would be my use of the wand. <laughs> I have no doubt that you're going to be successful. And what I'd like to end with is telling our listeners 
something that we haven't already told them that's really important for them to know? Why should they care about? We all want to feel valued and we all do have value. And the best way to feel valued is being heard and listened to and feel that we have a voice. Jason, what do you want people to know? Is what you've just said is just to put myself in the perspective of your listeners is that your listeners themselves will have family members or, or for example, high school children that, that they may be related to um, or may have relatives or know someone who are in care settings. So therefore, is to not just listen to, to this story that they've heard today on, on the podcast, but related to their own personal experiences. If they start to relate it to say, do they know any younger people themselves? who, for example, say, you know, who are in school but would like to find out a lot more in terms of what it means to be an older person. And equally, did you know about any older people who would like to contribute actively to society, give back to communities and work with younger people? So in other words, it's it's about, it's, it's a responsibility not just for seniors with seniors and, and communities, it's a responsibility for us all to look after each other, to engage with each other, and to listen to each other and to use that voice so powerfully so that we can sort of make social change happen. And how that happens is, that, is about then creating the conditions by which people's health and well-being is, is, is boosted. And that is about listeners, as I've put myself in the position of listeners, that they'll know of some older people, they'll know of some younger people who would benefit from building those bridges and coming together in terms of what seniors for seniors advocates as a as a as a as a as a fire of social change, as it were, um, that that can that can only um, burn even even more positively. I know it might sound a little corny, but it really to me says the circle of life that yeah. it is a matter of one generation giving to another, and that that spiral of continuous giving and growing. That's right. That's exactly it. Definitely. That's not right. Do I put it in? Yeah. Well, thank you so much. If people want to learn more about the organization or to contact you, how do they go about doing that? Well, our website is seniors, number four seniors.org. And also, we have a toll free number, call or text, which is 855 or seniorsforseniors.org. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest, or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.